Outdoor Edge knows that providing a freezer full of meat is part of the reason we all hunt. And what better way to bring it full circle than to process your own wild game? Outdoor Edge provides a full lineup of traditional and replaceable blade hunting knives and complete wild game processing kits to bring your wild game from the field to the freezer. Visit OutdoorEdge.com and at checkout, enter the discount code N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off. back on the o2 podcast paul how are you today I, I see you're down in your bunker and i'm over here in my bunker down hiding in the basement man beautiful beautiful day out today mid 50s low 60s something like that spring is coming so i'm doing great man i saw a guy today in the state of ohio posted some pictures of some morel mushrooms that he harvested in ohio so mm. spring is here my friend it is can't wait Although, what was it, Saturday we had like those random snow showers and then the sun would come out and it would snow and sleet again and back and forth. But A day like Saturday, I just, I, I close the curtains and I just hide. Like I refuse to, like I, I go out only if I absolutely have to because a day like Saturday just makes me so angry that I can't, I, I just can't, I, I don't want to live here. I don't live in Ohio. I get bitchy and I start looking for, you know, houses in Florida on Zillow and all that crap jobs on, on indeed in florida i hate it so saturday i just i just i bunkered down man worked in my kitchen almost done with that and i looked outside maybe twice so the state sucks some days and saturday was one of those days so yeah but sunday last sunday oprah second day youth turkey season took my nephew levi out cool had a, had a good had a good time it just the, the standard for 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 those for those listeners that hunt public land, you know the challenges that that we face as hunters because it's not you you're not just competing, you know, with Mother Nature. I mean, you're also competing with us, with each other. And there's certain certain properties uh, in the state that have way more hunters. Another one's obviously they're closer to the cities, you know, whatever it may be. And so this piece of property, I it's real close to my house. I, you know, I, I, I hunted quite a bit and I've had a lot of success out there over the years and this, you know, but I've had a ton of run-ins with hunters over the years and it's kind of small. So as soon as, as soon as it, um, as soon as you run into someone else, like your, your hunt's over game over, move on. And that was, that was the game plan, uh, on, or the, you know, what had happened on Sunday, we, you know, we walked 50 feet from the truck. I hit an outhooter, boom, turkey gobbles. We start making our way down there. And this guy pops out, uh, crow calling and, and waved his hands. And the, but the thing was, once there was no one parked there, like you couldn't see this guy had like driven around the gate and parked in, in, in a field, like along a wood line, like drove, like clearly should be there. And I, I was just frustrated, man. And there, it was one of those public hunts and I'm like, God, I hate doing this. I wish I had my own property. So other than that, it was great, man. Had a lot of fun. Oh, good. And you got the young man out there that's always a good thing so yeah um do you did you see the numbers this week on on what the youths were able to do we didn't actually, i did we so didn't so the about that so, last week but we should have yeah so the so the young folks in the state of ohio harvested 1103 wild turkeys saturday and sunday which is pretty good for a two-day hunt and like you talked about like the entire state was getting snow sleet rain high winds so you know unless the turkeys were real fired up on sunday Man, you 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 youth kids, and you did some work. So good for you guys. Absolutely. But it's a drop. It's a drop of like four hundred turkeys from the from the year before. I, I think I read the average was like fourteen or fifteen hundred every year for the youth. So big drop. Yeah, there's. Uh, that's good to hear. That's good. Oh, it's good to hear that the youths were out there harvesting the birds. As far as the drop in numbers, um, that's kind of what we'll get into in our talk today, but. Uh, before, yeah. before we get to that, um, what else? Um, man, I got all kinds of stuff on my list here. Where do I want to go? Now start barking stuff out. Barking. What you got, man? Well, for me this week, I did a lot of shooting with my bow. I got it restrung. So um, by a friend, Mike, over there at Performance Archery. 
in Newark, uh, helping us out there with the new bowstring. So that's, uh, that was good. I, I also picked up, a uh, our arrow scale and I've actually figured out how much my arrows actually weigh. And I was surprised what you, what you throwing down range. <laughs> it was 693. Uh, it was a lot. I, I really thought it was about 650. So I should have been, I was kind of piecemealing together when I was coming up with my estimates and, uh, yeah. So now I know, but what else? Um, Do you want to recap our last Thursday just a little bit? No, no, not at all. We got a special episode coming your way at some point. Uh, was there was a-, a lot of drinking that night, and it was good. It was a good episode. It's it's very unique. It's outside of the box of what we've done. Um, son of a bitch, months. I was hungover like a bastard mule on Friday. I mean, Saturday, I was still feeling it. I'm 40 years old, man. I can't be, I can't be drinking like, like, like that. I mean, it, but man, we had, we had a great time, uh, with, with our guests and and some listeners. So that'll be coming out. I'd say probably May or June. We'll, uh, we'll start releasing episodes like that. So yeah, once I'm able to keep it, we're going to tease that episode. Once I'm able that, to- and you got like once way I'm- a ton of editing. Yeah, once I'm able to edit it all out, <laughs> um, it was just a train wreck. It was an O2 podcast train wreck, but damn it, it is going to be fun. It'd be one of those so. things, like if we ever started a Patreon, that that's like one of your first gifts is you get that un- for sure. uncut. Yeah, for sure. Whole yeah, thing. for sure. Um, oh, God. Let's see here. So we always talk about our friends over at Go Wild. And they got something real fun happening. Real talking fun. about live country music. Yeah, buddy. So um, they've announced this week. They've been kind of they've been teasing it. Uh, July 9th coming up uh, in Louisville. So that's pretty much where those guys are based out of. But they're calling Kentucky. Yep. Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky. Kentucky. For those of you that aren't Magellans. Send It Slam Outdoor Festival, July 9th, one day before my birthday. So it's kind of like a big party for me. It is a big party. But they are going to have some country music stars or up and coming stars, Cole Chaney. With the Wolfpen Branch, Justin Wells, Abby Hamilton, Dave Shoemaker, and Dalton Mills. This is going to be down in uh, Amphitheater on Waterfront Park in Louisville. Now, it's not just a country music uh, endeavor. It's actually starts basically with a 3D archery competition. Um, they also have lots of local food trucks and breweries. They got a lot of stuff for the youths to do. So I think I saw where it was going to have like some you know, BB gun, um, stuff. Sounds like stuff you do at Boy Scout camp, archery for the kids, that kind of stuff. But it's, it's really pretty cool. They got this, this going with the archery thing. It's like uh, golf. It's like a tea time you get and, you know, a group of four goes out and runs a course. I think there's 20, as long as I'm talking to Brad, see if I have that in my notes here. I can't remember if there's 20 targets or 40 targets, but uh, either way. It was like 40. It was was quite a few, yeah. Either way, um, there are going to be a limited number of tickets on that uh, when it comes to the uh, archery competition. So sign up soon. Let's see. If you're a member of Go Wild, the the pre-sale started already. And if you're not, regular tickets go on sale at 11 a.m., Eastern Standard Time on April 13th. So the day that this show gets released. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be a blast. So I, I mean, think of, think of like how many companies, social media you know, companies and, and, and outdoor retailers, just they just take your money and they never do anything fun for you is like is a retailer. And the fact that Go Wild's putting this on, that's cool, man. I can't wait to go down and party with those guys. So that's going to be a blast. You can take the trip, take it to reasonable, do it. Yeah, and we've been down. We were down there not too long ago for ATA. I mean, it's like a three-hour drive from Central Ohio, so yeah, it's not bad. Something to look. It was six to. hours for us that night because you know four inches of snow, but whatever. That was, so that was good sad. time. So another another archery uh, competition-related event. This this one here uh, is in the state of Ohio. Justin Ross, uh, if you guys remember, he came on the program uh, into last year. Talked about the the hunters feeding the hungry. He has founded a really cool event archery hike it's going to be in hocking hills um ohio it is going to be july 15th 16th and 17th so basically what it is it's it's over over one mile round trip hike 
300 feet of elevation gain, two dozen live targets. Um, you get a, a there's a bow raffle. There's a ton of a ton of raffles, merchandise raffles. Um, it's gonna be a really a really fun event. You can get on Facebook. You can find him at Archery Hike on Facebook at Archery Hike uh, on Instagram and archeryhike at gmail.com uh, for that. So I think it's going to be really, that's going to be a really neat event. We're going to be down there doing some live stuff for that event. So uh, what day is that, Paul? Uh, that is July 15th, 16th, and 17th. It's in Hocking Hills, uh, Ohio. So it's not too far from, from Central Ohio. Beautiful country down there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. Really, really looking forward to that. So if you have any, any questions, you can email Justin, archeryhike at gmail.com or archeryhike at Facebook and Instagram. So check check him out. Yeah, that'll be definitely be cool. Um, Tethered, our other partners here, uh, as you guys know, we talk about the saddle hunting. They're your place to go. It's top, top of the line. It looks like they're coming out with a new pack of sorts here for, they call it a compression kit. You can make everything simple in your backpack with as far as your sticks and platform go. So they just keep in, inventing new and new things. That that uh, I'd imagine that the carbon fiber platform will be out before too long too. Because uh, I know that's what they showed off at ATA down there, Paul, and they got the uh, award for it too. So we're gonna try to get somebody uh, from Tethered on one of these days to talk and, and give you guys you know the full ins and outs of the saddle setup if you have uh, an interest in that. So. Uh, the only other thing, Paul, I've got before we get to our uh, drawings here, I, I thought that I found this comical today. I have a customer that ordered some stuff and he, he needed it quickly. And he, he asked me, he said, you know, if you can, if he knows I hunt. And he's like, look, if you can get those bags of fertilizer to me, like tomorrow, I will send you a half a dozen public land pins. So my my reward for <laughs> for getting the the product there on, on time and quickly was I was gonna get his some of his special Onyx pins. Uh, I found that. Oh, incredible. that is that is funny. You know that's a, that's that's a good pretty customer. good. That's a good that's a good customer. I hope you dropped what you were doing and uh, and took him up on that. So because those things are worth their weight in gold. All right. But so let's see here. That's that's pretty good. So so we've got we're doing our, our go wild drawing uh we had months way more people reacted interacted with this signed up for go wild commented on the post so we're going to give away that awesome go wild rocky ridge turkey call um so months has, has taken everyone that, that 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 followed the rules from the original post and then the drawing there's a ton there are a ton of people on this list We've got we we've put your name next to a number uh, on an Excel sheet, and Mons is is randomly generating a number. Um, so did you, did I'm, you working, I'm working did, off of two computers here. So yeah, uh, it's Paul's so, gonna, you know, Paul's going to read the winner. I'm hitting the numbers. You got to just trust us. We're not we're not picking anybody special. It's all no, random. To, totally totally random. So let's see let's see who this is. If I'm we, excited. I'm excited to see whoever this if, is. So. If we were as good as our buddies in Missouri, we would have figured out a way to like just videotape this whole thing but they've done 100 shows we've done like 20 so yeah good for those guys 100 100 shows we're this is our 25th show is that our winner right there that's your that's your winner for the pot call number number 32 trevor white trevor white good for you buddy uh email us on go wild or on our website the o2podcast.com get us your information uh and we'll drop that in the mail we also got a couple other items that we're going to throw in there. We got uh, we got an O2 podcast Yeti mug. We got um, friend of the program Scott Ellis. We got one of his brand new mouth calls that we're going to throw in there. So Trevor, my friend, and you are Paul, going Paul to Paul has be, not gagged on that mouth call yet. So well, yeah, it's brand new. Trevor in a box, unused. That I can promise you, my friend. Hold on, hold on, uh, hold on, hold on. Trevor's getting the pot call. This other stuff is bonus. We're going to do a couple more drawings here. Right? Oh, are we? Oh, Trevor, I'm oh, yeah. sorry. Okay, yeah, let's let's do. It. Let's pull some more winners. We, we got, got a lot so of friends. We, we... we got way more friends than we thought we had. So, um, that yeah, we do. I I, I was shocked. Next up, we'll do the Yeti mug. Yeti mug. O2 podcast Yeti mug. That I also haven't used. So, what do we got? Sean Good, coming your way, buddy. Sean Good, congratulations. Yep, Yeti Mug. Touch base with us, and we will get you 
Yep. The, hit us up on Go Wild. Hit us up on Instagram, website, whatever you need to do. We got, we got one more. This is for the Scott Ellis Woodhaven mouth call. This is anticipation is killing me, Andrew Mutz. Vernon Summers. My man. Boom. Woodhaven call coming your way. Paul, you forgot Scott about Scott Ellis mouth call. Forgot about Killing another, turkeys. Another one that we got, though. What's that? Oh, yeah. Oh, $50 Go Wild gift card. This Where is a big one. 50 bucks. So if you join, if you're a member, you haven't bought anything yet, you got $10 sitting in the hole. You got a $50 Go Wild gift card coming your way. Months, who we got, man? Number four, who we yeah, got? So if you didn't get that pot call, you can put this 50 bucks towards your own pot call. That's exactly right. Gerald Brad Jr. $50 go out gift card coming your way, Gerald. If you won, thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. Find us on Go Wild. Message me, Paul Campbell. Message Andrew Muntz. Message the O2 podcast. Actually, don't message Muntz. He won't respond. Respond to the O2 podcast. That's where I'm at. Or myself on Go Wild. So that was a good drawing, man. Thanks to thanks to Go Wild and, and, and our and our sponsors for for getting all that stuff. Heck um, yeah. I hope you guys enjoy it. So it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun getting interact. It was, man. It was it was cool seeing everyone everyone interact uh, with that. So we'll do we're gonna again. do some more giveaways coming up, man. We'll we'll, we'll announce those when the time's right. So keep listening. Well, keep listening. Keep interacting. So what do we got on deck today, months? We got we got a repeat, uh, Mr. Mark Wiley, uh, our t- repeat our- guest, not an episode. Repeat guest. Oh yeah, yeah. We're not running back. <laughs> We've only done it's like twenty episodes. So we we and so here here I. We got Mark Wiley, the upland game bird biologist for the state of Ohio. We talked to him back in like January, February, just kind of kick off the turkey tour. Uh, Mark, super smart guy, uh, really has his finger on the pulse of the of the you know pheasant, grouse, and turkey population, woodcock population in the state of Ohio. But right, right now, this is this is turkey season, man. So this is what we've been talking about. Um, we've got we've had some people reach out to us about getting behind uh, a year long trapping season in the, in the state of Ohio. And so the first thing that, that we did is we reached out to Mark and said, Hey, you know, Hey, what, what do you think about this? And Mark gave us a really impassioned, informed, educated response to that question or, or to that, that viewpoint of a year long trapping season. We talked about that in the episode. Um, there's a lot up against the wild Turkey, uh, across this country. And it's not just one thing. And that's, what's important. I think for people to, to understand, it's not, it's not raccoon, it's not nest raiders. That's the popular sentiment in this country is that, that the decline of the, of the wild Turkey is 100. It, 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 like the main problem is the, is the, the raccoon and the possum and nest raiders. And that's just not the case. It's not the case. And if you, and, and listen, man, there's no one in this country that enjoys turkey hunting more than me. I can promise you that. And it is, is more willing to do everything necessary to protect the wild turkey than I am. So when I say this, I, 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 I've listened to this. People that are smarter than me. It is just a piece. The nest predators are just a piece of a bigger puzzle. And it's a very complicated issue. And so we kind of really dive into that with Mark about, you know, everything, habitat loss, weather, um, nest predators. The big thing the big thing, and this comes from all the smart wild turkey docs, and they're all over the internet. You can find them, Goldsby, Chamberlain, uh, Collier, Mark, all those guys. Habitat loss. So Paul- Poor habitat and habitat loss. That's the number one thing. And and so in this episode, open mind, listen to this guy. Um, and if you have questions or you disagree or you want more information, Find us online, man. We're we're open to talk. So did you have, this is a great talk with Mark. Did you happen to listen to the podcast I sent you this morning? I think it was one of Clay Newcomb's and he had it. I heard it when I was half awake this morning. But he had Mike Chamberlain on there and he had five reasons. So for those who don't know, Mike Chamberlain is one of the names in um turkey biology and mark refers to him a lot i can't is he at georgia somewhere down south he's out of the university of georgia yeah he he's got his hands in wild turkey research across this country he does a lot with the nwtf too but he had five points of why the turkey population is declining and number one was habitat yeah that's the number one reason that's the number one and that's so hard for us as hunters and especially like like a public land hunter like myself. It's so because the habitat it's, it's, it's out of my control. 
you know, when you've got like your own property, you can control the habitat, but it's not just you, the habitat, it's your neighbors. It's the people around you. Uh, the state of Ohio has done a pretty decent job, you know, maintaining the habitat uh, across, across the state parks and state forests uh, that, that we all use. But it's, this is a loaded topic and it is a hot button topic, especially in the South. And, and, and when you've got, you've got a lot of guys and a lot of organizations that say, well, it's just, it's the raccoon nest, pre, you know, nest predation. That's the number one. It's not, it's not, it's just, it's, it's just a problem. It's a piece of the puzzle and it's a piece of the puzzle. And so many things in, in life are not black and white yeah. as much as we all want them to be. It's not black and white. So you gotta, you gotta yeah. find the grays and you gotta figure out the, you know, all the different pieces to the puzzle. So, well, yeah. we'll let Mark talk more about that, but it was another yeah. good conversation and I think you guys will enjoy it. Uh, hitting home. So let's, in Ohio. so let's, let's think about this month's, so today's on this recording, this episode will go live uh, April 13th. Our next episode, 420, a couple days after that, the opener, the wild turkey opener in the state of Ohio. Boom, boom, boom. It's coming. We're quick, packing man. up. We're packing up, man. We're going camping. You're going with me. You know, a couple buddies are going with me. I always consider you're getting close when you can see it in the weather forecast. So like the extended. Yeah. Flight, oh, there. yeah. Yeah. Is it there? What's the, is, is it on the 10 day yet? Uh, yesterday not. it was like a mix of rain and snow. And then today it was like, uh, no precipitation and 55 degrees or something. So dude, if it, if it snows on the freaking opening <laughs> of Turkey season, I'm going to have a meltdown. I had literal meltdown. I'm going to freak out and I'm yeah. still going to hunt. So yeah. still going to hunt. Anywho, that's all we got. So congratulations. Yeah. Buckle to our up. Winners. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Hit us up on, hit us up online, Instagram. Uh, if you have to go wild preferred, you can get us on our website. Um, go wild. O2 podcast, go wild. Paul Campbell, man. Thanks for listening guys. Hit, hit us with a review. Every one of you. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it guys. Uh, have a great week and we'll talk to you next time. Welcome back to the O2 podcast. Today we are joined with Mr. Mark Wiley of the Division of Wildlife, Mark, or ODNR. I, I'm i really good at screwing all that up. But uh, back here on our, on our show again for the second time. Um, so one of the things that we've had uh, recently is a lot of listeners and uh, people chiming in about nest predation of turkeys. Um, and that's what we want to get Mark on to start giving us a little bit of insight on that. Uh, welcome, Mark. Yeah, yeah, it's my pleasure to be with you. So, I don't know. I'm going to speak from the less experienced side of things, but with the um, predation of turkeys, I know last time we talked to you, there's a lot of things that impact the population of the turkey. But time and time again, I hear that we need to open up a trapping season and uh, make it year year long nest predator trapping and that kind of stuff. I don't know even know where to start this conversation. Paul, feel free to chime in. But what what are we talking about when we're talking about nest predators and and the impact they have on turkeys? Yeah, um, but I mean, first of all, it, it it is a common thing in game bird management to focus on predators. Um, and I I guess from my standpoint, from the standpoint of other game bird managers I, I interact with and, and more commonly read their their papers and their opinions. I think it's a mistake to, to focus on predators instead of predation. And I'll, I'll do my best to explain that. Um, wild turkeys are, 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 are commonly uh, prey for any number of predators, specifically hens and poults and nests. That is the most vulnerable time for wild turkey. So many wild turkeys meet their end uh, um, due to predation. That does not necessarily mean that predator numbers are problematic. Uh, you can, you can impact the level of predation through other means and specifically habitat management. So more often, uh, we advocate, wildlife managers advocate for uh, reduction of predation through habitat management than direct 
open trapping seasons for a number of our fur bearer species. Some of them are quite liberal, like for coyote. Um, and I would certainly encourage anybody to uh, that's interested in, in pursuing fur bearers uh, through trapping or hunting to, to take that up. Um, but if, if you're looking to specifically improve game bird numbers, turkey numbers, uh, some of the things that you should focus on first are things like habitat improvement, which can have dramatic impact on predation rates. I was listening to a talk from Mike Chamberlain, the wild turkey dog, and uh, he made he made the comment very similar to what you just said that the number one thing that that we as turkey hunters and land managers and and advocates of the conservation of the wild turkey need to focus on is that wildlife habitat management. And he made the comment that, that we as humans have made it easier for predators to do what they do best and that's to kill wild turkeys. And I didn't really understand what he had meant, but he was talking about kind of the nesting habits of hens, you know, within you know kind of those transition zones and we've made it easier for predators to kill turkeys. Ex explain that to me because I, I didn't, I was very interested, but I didn't really understand what he was talking about. Sure. Yeah. And it's, it's no coincidence that uh, some of the things that I mentioned uh, you've, You've also heard from Dr. Chamberlain, Chamberlain because I also enjoy listening to him and learn a lot from uh, from uh, the things that he publishes and uh, and records. Um, and 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 again again many of those things uh, you know have been part of wildlife management uh, for for decades. So uh, to your question about making it easier for predators, without knowing exactly what what he was referencing. Uh, some of the things that come to mind for me are, again, habitat-based. So uh, as an example, linear habitats, uh, which are common in, in, through, uh, across the Ohio landscape. Fence row is, is what I'm thinking here, along with some other uh, sorts of habitats. Those are, are terrible places for wild turkeys and other ground nesters to, to hide their nest uh, because they're very easy to hunt and locate. Uh, anybody that's a, a game bird hunter like me, uh, quail hunting, pheasant hunting, uh, uh, whatever you're in, in pursuit of, a linear habitat is a fantastic place to go and look for game because it's very hard for the game to hide there. Um, there's really nowhere to go. A predator or a hunter can just walk that fence row and basically cover the entirety of it. Um, so if you're expecting a, a hen turkey to be able to, to hide a nest in a fence row in an in a otherwise open habitat, whether the surrounding habitat is open agriculture or uh, forest, mature forest with an open understory, she's not going to be able to do it. Uh, whether there's abundant predators or just a few predators, they're likely to find that, that hen if she's in very limited habitat. So a fence row is an extreme example. But a more common one, I suppose, I'll give you is is woodlots. Since we're talking turkey, uh, woodlots are forest patches that have a very hard edge, and by that I I mean you have mature forest within the patch, and then at the edge of that patch you go to open field with no transition, no transition of shrubby cover or herbaceous cover. You know, think of that ground nesting turkey. She needs. She needs cover on the ground to hide that nest. She needs cover on the ground to hide those poles. If you've got more of a soft transition on the edge of your woodlot, uh, you know, to, uh, up against the adjacent crop field or whatever it might be, she's got more. She's got more cover in that region. She's got shrubby cover, grassy cover, forbs, you know, ground level cover where she can conceal herself from predators. And it's a much uh, a block of cover is much harder for a predator to hunt. Uh, so a, a nest within a block of cover is much more, uh, much safer from predation than, uh, than a, something in a, in linear cover or very limited cover. I, I would assume that's what he was referencing. He was, uh, but I'm not sure. Yeah. 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 He was and just to, 
you know, just a personal story. I, I had access to a farm here in Licking County and there was a, a drainage ditch that ran through the center of this property and it cut the, it cut two probably 80 acre fields in half. And every year I would, I would kick a wild or I'd kick a hen Turkey off of the nest every year for three or four years straight. And I mean, this patch of woods was 20 feet wide. And I mean, yeah. this, these turkeys would, would nest in it every year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just because it, there was a lot of, a lot of ag and uh, all that stuff around. So, so we, how do we, how do we, as, as, as turkey hunters, how do we impact you know, the predator, I mean, d- does that, does it make sense to, to become trappers? It, you know, I, I've, I've trapped some beavers before. I've never trapped a raccoon. Um, you know, if, if I start trapping on public land, am I going to have any sort of impact on, on wild turkeys or if it's private land, if I just, if I start a, a trapping, I'm gonna do air quotes program on my private property within the seasons that we have now, am I going to make an impact on the turkeys? Um, to have a noticeable impact on prey species, whether it's wild turkey or other ground nesting birds or, or, or whatever it is your focus might be. Um, the trapping effort would have to be extremely intense. You probably would have to trap on hundreds, if not thousands of acres, um, which would involve more than likely not just you trapping, but neighboring properties trapping. Um, and that's one of the only way, and you're only going to have a localized effect on, on those prey species. So wild turkey, as an example, you know, if, if you own 150 acres and you have interest in trapping and you want to do some intense trapping on your property, uh, you, you probably on that 150 acres aren't going to have enough impact to see a noticeable increase in wild turkey. If you get all of your neighbors involved, all of your adjacent neighbors involved, and they are also intensively trapping, you may see some slight, slight impact. Um, but as soon as you stop that effort, and it is intense, uh, as soon as you stop that effort, you're likely to be right back to square one at the same level of predation. Uh, Whereas if you were to make some slight improvements to say nesting habitat, again, nesting and brood rearing are the most vulnerable periods for wild turkey when it comes to predation. That is when hens and poults both are extremely vulnerable to, to all manner of predators. So uh, some slight improvement to nesting habitat, to brood rearing habitat, you're likely to have a much longer lasting impact on predation. Even though you, you still have a, a number of predators out on the landscape, you've made it harder for those predators to locate those hens, nests, and poults. Uh, so it's, again, that's one of the reasons we advocate for, for habitat management to impact predation rather than direct predator management. Now, if you make every improvement you can to nesting habitat and to brood rearing habitat, and you still wanna take up trapping, uh, I, I would be an advocate for that as well. It's it's a it's a challenging and, and um, uh, rewarding activity. Um, it, it's I would encourage anybody to take up fur bear trapping if they have the time and interest. That's 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 a good good point. I you know I I feel like the raccoon and the possum and and these nest raiders. Um, it's kind of low hanging fruit for, for people. And it, it, and it's driven from, you know, social media, there's a bunch of personalities, there's a bunch of organizations that this is their silver bullet. They're always looking for, this is the reason turkeys have dropped in Alabama and Missouri and Mississippi and Ohio. It's a raccoon. And I, I feel like people are going to be sorely disappointed if they focus solely on trapping is the, is the end all be all answer and you can and, and, and you people like us um professionals like yourself and then idiots like andrew and i with the with a platform we can talk about you know the, the the habitat and people just check out when you say well it's 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 your transitions are too hard on your property and and so that's a hard sell like you said at the beginning of this to get people to understand what wild turkeys need what grouse need what all wild animals need. So that's, that's definitely a, a tall order, but I think it's, I think it's a very important conversation to have. So 
bounties, are there any value to that? I, I get all the time in my day job, people bring up predator bounties, predator bounties, predator bounties. Why don't we do that anymore? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as you described, uh, it is often viewed as the silver bullet. If we just would do this, then we would have uh, abundant game species. Uh, bounties, specifically, uh, sort of the most extreme form of predator management, like we we discussed earlier, uh, where where folks are paid for tails or feet, uh, sort of as a as a, a reward for trapping those animals. Um, some state agencies have implemented those even in recent years. Uh, South Dakota comes to mind. Uh, I don't know the specific details of their, uh, of their bounty program. I, I do believe those are focused uh, more on pheasant management than anything else. Um, but at the moment in Ohio, that they're, they're viewed as uh, sort of an, uh, an expensive and, and unnecessary measure. Um, Bounties uh, would have temporary impact, just as I described, you know, an individual taking on a, a predation management program, likely to have temporary impact. To, to have an impact statewide, the program would have to be just massive uh, and cost an unknown amount of money. Um, uh, again, for a problem that we don't know for sure is is necessarily overpredation or or an abundance of predators. So, for the division from the division of wildlife standpoint, we would much rather see wildlife management funds go to habitat management, uh, which I understand. You mentioned uh, folks often get tired of hearing us, division of wildlife or other biologists, beat the habitat management drum. But it really can be a cure-all for, for many issues, predation and, and, and other things. Um, it, it's sort of like hearing diet and exercise, you know, your, your various physical ailments. Well, diet and exercise, it, we hear that all the time. But even though we know that that's, that's beneficial, not all of us, uh, myself included, are, are follow that guidance. Habitat can impact predation. It can improve nesting rates. It can allow species to occupy landscapes that are otherwise unsuitable for them, thinking of grouse and quail and pheasants and other game species like that. Um, whereas a bounty just removes predators from, from the landscape. It, it's not going to improve conditions at all for game species. Uh, an analogy that I'm sometimes hesitant to use is, is chickens in a chicken coop. If you just leave your chickens in the barnyard, it doesn't matter whether you've got one mink or 10 mink, it's going to, all your chickens are going to be killed if they don't have some form of protection, protection from predators. Uh, but, but within a chicken coop, the, the analogy there being habitat, I'm not suggesting you take wild turkeys and, and put them in it. Again, game bird management, I've got to be careful with my analogies. Some people, sometimes people take that stuff literally, uh, but chickens within a chicken coop, it doesn't matter how many predators you've got there. They are somewhat protected from predation. Uh, that is the analogy for habitat. Hens and nests within good habitat are going to be better protected from any number of predators. Um, so, so yeah, bounties are, are not something that, uh, that I think are, would be a, a wise use of wildlife resources in Ohio. It's not something that I, I see in the foreseeable future. Um, and I think it would be, I, I think it, uh, I don't think it will be the silver bullet that most people think it would be. We'd much rather see those, those resources go toward habitat management. Mark, I think we can all agree that the habitat is really important. Um, and I'm, I'm with, I think the diet and exercise is a great analogy because Building habitat doesn't happen overnight. Today's society is so like instantaneous, you know, thanks. I blame Amazon, but you know, you order something there tomorrow. You can't just bit make habitat overnight. Um, but do we have a predator problem? And, and that the reason I ask that I've heard numerous times that like raccoon populations are through the roof 
And I know we're seeing the Bobcat continue to spread across Ohio, which is cool. That's where it started. Or you know how it was initially was back in the day. But there's got to be an ecological balance somewhere. I don't have any idea. Maybe you do. Um, on how that works, if if where you're going to be able to have some bobcats and some raccoons, but still have healthy turkey populations, and trying to find that happy medium. I mean, way back before Europeans came, there was wolves here and all kinds of stuff, and they all kind of got along um, in in a balance of sorts, as far as how I, how I understand it. So, do we have a predator? problem right now so we don't have evidence of, of a predator problem right now with wild turkey but the last uh, significant wild turkey study was almost 20 years ago in southeast ohio of course we had we had a number of predators uh like bobcat in southeast ohio at that time but we recognize <clears throat> that over the last 20 years predator communities have changed somewhat um of course, wild turkey have, have, as you mentioned, dealt with predators for, for uh, a long, long time. Um, your question specifically, do we have, do we have predator issues? I, I, I would wonder only in situations where predators reach unusual abundances. Um, and, and we have no evidence of that on a statewide scale, even with raccoon, uh, Populations have certainly increased in recent decades based on our indices, uh, but have not reached levels where uh, there's any sort of alarm. Uh, of course, there's management of disease and, and landowners have any number of, of tools at their disposal with nuisance trapping. I would encourage you to contact a wildlife officer or your district wildlife office uh, to learn more about that. But there are tools at, at at, the, at the, the fingertips of landowners and others that are interested in or that have nuisance issues for a number of wildlife. Um, but when you were asking your question, one, one thing came to mind. I, again, am, am somewhat hesitant to mention, but uh, one of the most common calls I get uh, with regard to raccoon numbers is raccoons at their deer feeder. Uh, and it typically starts with, well, I run a feeder, corn feeder, or I run multiple feeders all through the winter. And there's, you know, half a dozen raccoons at each feeder every night. Raccoons are a problem. You need to do something about it. And my first thought is, well, it sounds like you have created the problem. <laughs> you're feeding you're, you're feeding raccoons through the winter, um, a steady diet of, of corn. Uh, you probably have some of the healthiest raccoons, the most uh, prolific raccoons in the state. Um, so I, I, I have no issue with, with, uh, with landowners running cameras and, uh, and, and feeding. Feeding uh, is, uh, of course, legal in Ohio. Um, but you need to recognize that... Uh, those animals don't know that that corn is out there for deer or, or, or whatever your target is. Raccoons are going to take full advantage of those opportunities as well. Uh, so, so I would encourage landowners to think about how they might be impacting those numbers of those species also. What about the bob signs up say for deer only, right? That'll work. Right. Yeah. So you put some signs out that say deer only, uh, see how that, see how that works. <laughs> yeah. Months you had an actual real point. So go, go ahead. Yeah, the well on the bobcats, that's one I think I I just have heard it, right? Can we get a bobcat season? Uh can we start getting uh have a bobcat season cuz not just are they nest predators, but they can climb the trees and they can pull the adults out of the trees. That I mean this is the type of stuff that that we're hearing. Um do you have any comments on that? I think in the, one of the emails we were going back and forth, we kind of did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh Bobcats are impressive predators. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, fully capable of taking adult wild turkey. Um, but we, again, we don't have evidence that bobcat are are a major problem or have even contributed to the recent dip in, in wild turkey numbers. We, we uh, suspect other issues related to nest success and pulse survival. Uh, contributed to those recent declines and, and, and poult numbers have improved since then. Um, but bobcats specifically 
we hear a lot of concern. It seems like Bobcat observations in Southeast and Eastern Ohio, even parts of Central Ohio and Southwest Ohio are increasing. Um, we, I do remind folks, there was a proposal for a limited Bobcat trapping season in 2018. Um, that was met with pretty vocal opposition when it made it to the public comment period. Um, and if memory serves, the Ohio Wildlife Council chose to table that uh, proposal indefinitely. Um, there has been some research in, into the bobcat population at Ohio University. Since that time, that research was ongoing uh, when, when oh, the Ohio Wildlife Council chose to table that, that trapping season. Um, I look forward to the results of that study. Hopefully there'll be some clear guidance uh, on, on whether a trapping season is, is feasible in the future in Ohio. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, do, I do remind folks that a limited trapping season was proposed um, and, and then tabled uh, in, uh, I don't know if it was in response, but following some fairly vocal opposition. I can I can imagine that that a lot of that came from the non-hunting community. If I'm just going out on a limb, just from from what I've seen around the country, I mean, if you you put a bobcat uh, up there, it's it's cute and cuddly. You know, the the the, the anti-hunting organizations really mobilize well against proposals like that. So, that, and, that's, and that's just uh, I'm speculation. So yeah, yeah, that's certainly possible. It would be pure speculation on my part as well. But yeah. you know, any Ohioan uh, is welcome to provide comment uh, during that public uh, process. You don't necessarily have to to be a, a hunter, trapper, angler. Um, I would, I would, I do typically when I receive those calls from hunters that have concern about bobcat and would like to see some form of limited harvest occur. I do remind them that uh, they can speak up at those public comment periods as well. Uh, do not, uh, whether it's, whether it's uh, a regulation that uh, uh, for trapping or, or a season or whether it's a change or just a sort of a, a continuation of business as usual, if you feel strongly uh, in support or opposition, uh, you should submit your comment. Um, don't feel like you only need to comment when when you're strongly opposed to something you hear. Uh, that that seems to be the case. Is uh, we only hear from folks when they're strongly opposed to to something that's been suggested. So, Mark, when we're looking at um, some of the just full disclosure to the uh, listeners, but Mark has sent us over some scientific uh, articles here on things that were, you know, in regard to the nest predators and different things like that. I found it very interesting. I can't remember which one I should have used my highlighter, like the good old days of grad school. But, um, you know, some of the different things that cause nests to fail uh, within a turkey population. And I mean, this study was pretty intense. Uh, they tried, you know, or tested on different types of turkeys all across the country. They were different ages. Um, and they kept real pretty good numbers here on different percentages and stuff. But one of the things I, I thought was really interesting in one of the studies, I think there's 27 nests that they were watching. Seven of them failed because of nest predators and six of them failed because of human predators that scared them off the nest so sometimes we like to point the fingers at the uh the the predators but in, in reality we should be looking back in the mirror on some of that um but uh, certainly i i mean i without the details of that study you, you know exactly what the human uh disruption might have been uh it could be anything from somebody stumbling across a nest to something more malicious um but for ground nesting birds, one of the biggest things I guess I'll advocate for is uh, stay off your mower as, as best you can during the nesting season. Uh, with maybe more often with pheasants and quail, uh, this occurs, but occasionally with turkey too. Uh, mowing nesting habitat during April, May, June can be extremely damaging to those ground nesting populations. So 
so yeah, there, you know, we're, we kind of have focused on predation because that's what, uh, that's what many folks, many hunters focus on. Uh, but there are any number of ways that we can improve the success of ground nesting birds, uh, beyond a focus on predation, um, and, and paying attention to when those birds are on nests, when they've got eggs on the ground, when they've got young poults on the ground that maybe can't get away from a, a bush hog, uh, that's that's very important too, as you mentioned. Yeah, one of the other things, I and that makes perfect sense. I mean, a lot of times when when you go through science and, and read some of the stuff, it just makes sense. But um, a lot of the nests that weren't, or the the populations of these turkeys that they were looking at, uh, the yearlings weren't producing like uh, you know the more adult birds and that kind of stuff. So I know we've talked in the past about how we'll see the kind of the ups and downs of a turkey population. And when we get more older birds and we start to have a greater population. So I think last year you said that the poult numbers were pretty good. Um, so those birds would be coming into, you know, being the yearlings. So we really need them to make it to next year in order for their nest to keep succeeding. Am, am I understanding all that correctly? You are. Yeah. Yeah. Generally, uh, your yearling birds, both Jake's and Jenny's, uh, are are not the most successful during the reproductive season. It's it's your adults uh, that are really uh, contributing to to successful reproduction. So adult hens uh, are sort of the engine that drives the po- population growth. Um, they're the most successful generally. Uh, you're going to see higher rates of of uh, nest attempts, uh, generally higher survival or nest survival, nest success rates, and often they're, they're more successful in brood rearing. Um, so yeah, adult hens, vitally important. As you mentioned, we had a really good poult year last year based on our index. That, that would be 2021, summer of 2021. So we hope that uh, we're hearing spring hunters say there are a lot of yearling birds on, on the landscape this year, a lot of jakes. Um, uh, maybe Maybe we'll see some boost in, in the number of, of nests on the ground and number of pults on the ground um, as a result of, of that really good year last year. But it'll be, it'll be 2023 when those birds have matured, um, those 2021 birds are, are two years old, that we should really see some benefit. Um, that'll be when we see a, a spike in spring harvest with more mature gobblers on the landscape. Um, and those two-year-old hens should be far more uh, successful in nesting. So we're really hopeful to, to see some, uh, some improved poult years. We could really use it after those bad years in 2017, 18, and 19. I'm just curious. How do you, how do you measure that? You talked about your index, but like you guys are just out tagging birds or cameras. How, how do you guys measure that? Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, it's a, it's a decades old uh, citizen science survey, meaning we solicit observations of wild turkey from the public. Of course, our staff submit observations as well. So do Division of Forestry staff and other ODNR employees that are in the field and and, uh, folks with other agencies like uh, the Forest Service. But basically during the months of July and August, we ask uh, that anybody that observes wild turkeys uh, submit uh, to to our website, uh, the the date and time, location uh, of the observation, uh, with hopefully with detailed information on the number of adult hens and poults, um, or if you if you viewed males, uh, the number of males that were observed. Um, essentially, what we do with that, and and many other states do this as well. So states across the range of the wild turkey. Uh, we all, we all operate a very similar survey. And during the months of July and August, uh, generally poults have reached an age where their survival is, is considerably higher than it was uh, during say May and June when those poults are much younger. Uh, so it, observations of poults and hens during that time gives us an index, uh, the number, the average number of poults per hen uh, for reproductive success. In Ohio, uh, in the past 10 years, with that index, our average has been about 2.7 poults per hen. 
So uh, when we get to the end of August, if, if we if we summarize all of our observations and we come out of around 2.7 volts per hen, uh, that's a average year. Uh, when we get above that, of course, we're we've had a good reproductive year, and below is generally indica indicating a poor year. Um, so. As an example, 2021 was 3.1 pulse per hen statewide, a very good year, well above average, uh, at least uh, based on our 10-year average. 3.1 doesn't seem like a whole lot uh, compared to 2.7, but if you apply that average to all the hens across the state, it adds up to a lot more pulse than a typical year. Yeah, and that's uh, the survey idea is interesting. I know we were talking about that earlier, but the uh, mix of social science as well as biology, biological sciences, and how we manage um, all the wild game species. Because Mike Tonkovich has talked about the same thing on the deer side of things. But that's that's interesting how you guys uh, work that all together. So, man, I think for now, well, let's one other thing. Um, We've got a reduction in, in the bag limit this spring, and we lost some weeks there in the fall season of the turkey. How do you think that's going to impact the population? I mean, theoretically, you're going to harvest less birds, so therefore that would impact the population. But are we are you expecting a dramatic increase uh, on, on some of those yearling birds or the population in general? Um, not a dramatic increase, no. Uh, so so the, the recent... Uh, regulation changes, the, the reduction from two bearded birds to one in the spring, and the proposal, it is uh, at this point still a proposal to reduce the fall turkey season length by about three weeks. Uh, so those are in response to uh, the, the poor poult years that we, that I described, uh, 17, 18, and 19. Uh, those are not necessarily in response to any evidence that we have over harvest within the population. Our harvest metrics were within tolerable thresholds, meaning we weren't killing too many turkeys uh, as far as we know. But uh, because poult numbers were reduced, we were anticipating reduced turkey numbers in general, tur reduced turkey abundance across the state. Uh, one of the tools in our, in our, uh, in our uh, toolbox is to, to manipulate uh, harvest opportunity uh, to potentially take some pressure off of a, a reduced turkey population. And it's important to point out that that was, that was uh, you know, strongly supported or advocated for by the hunting community. Uh, and those came in comments and came in, uh, in the form of postseason hunter surveys. Generally, folks were concerned about declining turkey numbers, and they wanted to see a, a little bit of, of harvest opportunity, or wanted to see harvest opportunity reduced a little bit to take some pressure off those birds. Um, so we don't expect a direct impact necessarily on pulp production. Pulp production is is uh, more more impacted by weather and predation, um, and weather and predation also impact each other um, in, in ways that don't always fully understand. But uh, things like weather, which have dramatic impact on nest success and pulse success, we have no real control over. So if we have three bad years of nesting weather, we've just got to accept that turkey abundance is going to drop. And one of, the, as I mentioned, one of the only tools in our tool bag, uh, our toolbox uh, to, to uh, mitigate those losses or, or take some action is to, to reduce harvest uh, through regulation change. Got it. Well, I think the things that uh, I'm taking away from this, we're going to improve our habitat. Okay. We're not going to feed the raccoons all winter. Uh, we're going to grin and bear it this year with the reduced numbers because in the long run, it'll be better. Does that sound good? That sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, learn it, learn how to trap and, and, uh, Teach folks how to trap, and uh, if you've got somebody that wants to trap your property, let them do it. Yeah, certainly. But uh, first, improve your habitat, as you said. Very good. 
Well, Mark, I appreciate your time today. Uh, we will have you on again for sure uh, one of these days when we get get more questions coming in. So have a wonderful spring. Good luck out there in the woods if you get a chance. I appreciate it. I need all the luck I can get. <laughs> Thank you very much. Take care.